to hear God speak, not Pastor Chris speak. John 1, verses 1 through 3, God's word says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, today is a new chapter in your local church, the Church of the Canyons, and may we collectively and continually do the great work of your kingdom. May we stand on the shoulders of those that have come before us and continue to work with joy for your glory and for your people's good. Thank you, Lord, for the faithful servants who have held fast to the word, your word. May we remain steadfast in that pursuit. Thank you, Lord, for the elders, the teachers, the workers in your local church. And thank you for Pastor Bob for many years of faithful service here. Thank you, Lord, for the many who serve so well behind the scenes, but are so vital to the health of your local church and the good of your local church. Lord, we want you to speak Not to hear the words of man that come and go, but the word of the Lord that is unchanging, timeless, infallible. And so, Father, give me wisdom. Give me discernment. We want to understand more about your son, Jesus Christ. We want to love him deeper and serve him and you and your spirit more effectively. We cannot speak enough about Jesus, for we exist to proclaim Christ and Christ crucified. Please guide our time. May my words glorify you. Please help us as a church to understand you deeper, love you deeper, and apply your words more faithfully. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. And it's in Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Please be seated. We need a bigger pulpit. I'll tell you that right now. I'm old school. So I have 13 pages, so I will do my best to get through this in the time that's allotted to me. June 18, 1940, Winston Churchill stood just one month and eight days into office as the Prime Minister of England. And in his third speech called The Finest Hour, he delivered one of the most powerful words that have ever been delivered And it was done to the House of Commons. It was a special meeting that took place and the House of Commons was to gather on an executive session. It was not to be broadcast, but based on what was said and based on the response, it was broadcast at 9 p.m. that evening. Why did they meet? There was an armistice, and for those that don't know what that word means, that basically meant that France was going to surrender that night and create a deal with the Nazis. They were going to join and surrender the land. And so the French leader was ousted. Churchill was 38 days into office. Listen to his words. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duty and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last a thousand years, men will say, this was the finest hour. 
Churchill's words rallied the English leadership and the citizens to stay the course and stand strong against their enemy. At 9 p.m. that night, those words were broadcast throughout England and then around the world. Churchill had a way with words, did he not? But as dynamic and as powerful as Churchill's rhetoric ability is, it is no match for the word of the Lord. Why? God's word is unchanging. God's word is infallible. God's word is unending. God's word is unfathomable. Thank you, Duane, for reading not only God's word, but reading it well. As you read through that passage from Genesis 1, and I'm sure in your preparation, you know that God's word, when read deeply, studied deeply, is living and active and changes our hearts and our minds like a diamond. The more we look at it, the more it radiates. God is not like us. We are not like God. Man's word may inspire, but God's word alone is inspired. Friends, you have called me as your pastor. What that means is I will stand firm on the word of the Lord without apology, and I will guard it jealously. This pulpit in this church will hold fast to the words of Christ and understand who is the word of the Lord with depth. God's word is unchanging because the author is unchanging. God's word is good because God is good. God's word is clear because God is not a God of confusion. So one of the clearest things found in the book of John, now you can imagine being a pastor coming into the church, you can choose one of how many books? Thank you. 66, did I hear it? So good, we're going we're gonna to learn a lot about the Bible together and study it richly. So you could choose one of 66 books. Which one should we start with? I sought counsel from men that are brighter than I, more godly than I, and I said, where would you start? Here's a little bit about the church, Church of the Canyons, where they've come from, what their history is, where would you start? And I had three books in mind, and John was one of the three that he echoed to me and gave lots of reasonings as to why. And that's where we're going to spend over the next two years, probably three years. So John 1, now when I candidated, I kind of gave you big swaths of scripture at once, so you may have got used to that. Let's put the brakes on. We're going to go deep. Today, I'm only going to cover three verses. In fact, the first nine pages don't even get to verse one. Why? Because I want you to love God and understand the context of every book, who it was written for, why it was written, what was the purpose, who was the intended audience, so that you can read your Bible at home without me with greater confidence. We're going to do hermeneutics courses, but I'm not going to call it. And for those that don't know what that means, it's basically unpacking God's word so that you are better equipped to read it on your own. That's my goal because I want you to love God's word and the word of God deeper. Jesus was and is the word. The Greek word for the word is logos, logos. Depends on which side of the border you're on. Okay? Jesus is indeed God. The word, capital W, if you look in your Bibles, if you don't have a Bible, Dwayne offered it, I want you to take that up. We have extra Bibles at the back. Put a hand up, we'll get one to you. If you don't have a Bible at home, keep it. 
If we don't have enough for you, let us know. We'll buy you one. I want you to have a Bible. I want you to love a Bible. Every false religion, if you take notes, write this down. Every false religion contorts and distorts the identity of Jesus Christ. Every false religion contorts and distorts the identity of Jesus Christ. What do I mean by this? Heresies, beliefs that are contrary to the Christian doctrine, are subtle, and they're born by discreet misrepresentation of who Jesus Christ is. Many false religions, I want you to think about what I'm going to say carefully here. Many false religions talk well of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus is a good man. Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is a priest. Jesus, Jesus is anything but God. And it's a very subtle tactic by the enemy. Do you remember what two chapters later in the book of Genesis happened in the garden? Satan is before Adam and Eve. Do you remember the scene? And he said to them this, did God really say? The tactic of Satan is to challenge the word of God and the big W word of God in terms of what's in the word of God, the inspired word, and the identity of the big W word of God, the logos. And it happened thousands of years ago, and it happens today. I'm on a plane flying to see you months ago, and beside me is a woman who is a Muslim woman. And we start talking about Christ. And to my surprise, she knows the Old Testament. She knows the New Testament. And we start to get into a deep theological conversation. She researches the cells of the human body, the cancer cells that aggressively are attacked. And I said, do you believe there's a God? And she says, oh, yes. And I said, when you study the body, do you know there's a God? She said, absolutely. Tell me what you believe. And as she told me her beliefs, I realized very quickly that not only did she know the Bible, she probably knew the Bible, maybe to our chagrin, maybe better than some of us. But when we got to Jesus, the wheels fell off. So she said, Jesus is a good man, but he is not the final prophet. He was the second last prophet. And after him came Allah. And Allah was the final prophet. But Jesus was a good prophet. He was a wise prophet. He was a knowledgeable. He was sent from God. Do you hear the words? Sent from God. What's missing there? He was God. Do you catch it? There's a possessiveness to that that is missing. And so I said, so you and I believe many common things, but we differ on the identity of Jesus Christ. And everything hinges, every false religion hinges on the identity of Jesus Christ. If you get this wrong, everything else fails. It's a slippery slope, it's precipitous, and it happens all the time. What happens to Jehovah's Witness? They come, oh, your Bible has that verse? Every time that there's a possessiveness to the identity of Jesus Christ as God... Their religions around the world will extract, contort, distort the identity of Christ because they realize that if this is true, then what they believe is 
false. Satan has been contorting. Satan has been distorting. So we need to guard this pulpit, this word, and the identity of Christ as revealed in the pages of Scripture. That's the mission statement that I have for this church. So in preparation for this morning, and I'm only on page four, I'm sorry, I have four things that I want the Church of the Canyons to accomplish in the days and the years and the months, whatever God allows me to be here for, and I hope it's decades. And here they are. Number one, a deeper understanding and love for God's word and the scriptures. I want the Church of the Canyons to be known as a people of the book. For God's word is inspired, and it's found in the completed and closed canon of scripture as the final authority alone. Not your pastor, not your elders. This is what we are under. The chief shepherd is Jesus Christ. We are under shepherds. Two, so the first one is a deeper understanding of the love of God, the words of scripture. Two, a fuller awareness for the sufficiency. I'm choosing my words very precise here. The sufficiency of God's word to equip the church for all situations, all circumstances in which we will face. Psalm 119, verse 9 to 11. How can a man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander for your commandments. I have treasured your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Three. So the first one is a deeper understanding of the love of God's word, the scriptures. The second is a fuller awareness of the sufficiency of God's word. Three, an increased love for God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is evidenced in our obedience to the word of God. It's not to be hearers, it is to be hearers and doers. Catch that. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 to 40, God's word says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these two commandments, the whole law and the prophets hang, which means everything that came before. Fourth, finally, that the church of the canons will be mightily used for God locally and afar in the great commission mandate that we know from Matthew 28. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what are the four objectives that I have for the church? Number one, a deeper understanding for the love of God's word, scriptures. A fuller awareness for the sufficiency of God's word. Three, an increased love for God and obedience to God. Four, that the church will be used mightily, locally and afar, in the great commission mandate given by Jesus Christ himself. And so we start the journey. Here we go. We're going into John. So if you don't have your Bibles open, please turn to the book of John. We're going to love and... Have you ever been in a hot tub, right? You know that feeling? There's just a difference between swimming in a pool and going in a hot tub? We're going into the hot tub. John is going to be soothing waters for the months and years ahead. For our, and why? So let me give you a little summary of, of, of why John. Three things. Clarity, simplicity, and applicability. It is the clearest book in the Bible as to the identity of Jesus Christ. Number one. Two, it's simple. 
and yet it's complex. There's an expression that the book of John is simple enough for a child to wade in and deep enough for an elephant to swim in. It's simple and complex. Three, it's applicable. There are so many things we can walk away from these first few three verses today and apply to our lives. And we'll find that week by week by week by God's grace. Here's my prayer for you. That we love in a new way the Lord Jesus Christ. That we grow in our awareness of the connected meta-narrative. You know what that word means. That means from Genesis to Revelation. What is the golden thread that weaves through the scripture? That's what I'll look to do for you. As we Now you'll notice Dwayne read from Genesis 1. That was not by happenstance. That was by very particular placement. And what we're going to do is dovetail the Old Testament to the New Testament and see how the revelation of Christ comes from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament. And so we'll do that week by week as a pairing strategy. And third, we want our increased knowledge of scriptures not to be head knowledge where we get puffed up, but humbled before our Savior, who alone deserves all glory and praise. So that's page five. So I needed to do that, and I won't do that often. But I needed to do that because this is my only time I get to do this with you. This is the first Sunday. I need to provide a missional statement, what I hope the prayer is for, what my prayer is for the church. And so as we go week by week, verse by verse, line by line, you know what's underneath of this driving me. And so let's go to the book of John. The book of John is about four-fifths the way into the Bible. Why do I say that? If you're brand new here and somebody invited you and you've never had a Bible, I am not going to speak Christianese to you. I will bring some high-level stuff, but I want to make sure that every single person in this room and online understands where to find it and how to read it and how to apply it without the professionals that get paid to do this behind the scenes. So, Four-fifths of the way into the book, we read John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. Every good Hebrew, little Hebrew boy in little Hebrew school would have heard, in the beginning was... Mm-mm. Try again. In the beginning was... God. Do you catch what just happened? John, let me give you the sequence of when John was written so you understand kind of how this all fits together. So the New Testament is comprised with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are called the Gospels. The Gospels mean the good news. These proclaim the life, the death, the resurrection, the narrative accounts of Jesus Christ as the only exclusive path to salvation. Those four are camped together. They're put in. Matthew is probably not written first, by the way. There's a shocker. Uh, It actually is perceived in the scholarly world to be Mark. There's what they call the Markian priority. It doesn't matter. It's boring stuff. Let me give you why, why this is relevant. Both Mark and Matthew were written around 50 to 60 AD. So... I want you to piece in your head, when did Jesus live? When did Jesus die? So now this is first-hand account, 
eyewitnesses that have seen, that have not only seen the life of Jesus, that have, that have also seen the resurrection of Jesus. And they're still alive. These letters are now circulating between churches. Mark comes out, or Matthew, depending on which scholarly debate you want to land on, these go and are circulated widely between the churches that are read, understood to be scripture. And they're being brought down, and these are prized possessions because they are inspired by God. So by the time Luke's gospel comes to pass, which is estimated to be about 61 AD, Matthew and Mark already exist. Okay? So that means that the authors, through divine inspiration, would have had access to the other gospels that were also circulating. Do you get the point of this? So John comes around, and the John is now written at around 80 to 90 AD, is the best estimate. The last of the gospels to be written. And here's what I want you to write down it is unique. What's missing from John? Almost everything from the other three Gospels. 90% of John does not exist in the other Gospels. 90% of John is unique. What's missing? Jesus born. There's not that account. It already exists. So what's missing? We have thing after thing after thing. Whether we go to baptism, whether we go to the transfiguration, whether we go... Insert what you wish. 90% of John parables, they're missing. And so why is John writing the gospel? Why? The purpose statement is written in John 20, verse 31. These things were written so that you will believe what? That Jesus is the Christ, depending on your version. And by believing, you will have salvation in and through his name alone. Paraphrasing, it's right on the money though. So here's the point. John wants to lift us, Church of the Canyons, away from the historical narratives, the tracking along, the life, the death, the historical account, and he wants to raise our eyes into look at a heavenly view of Jesus Christ. That's what's going on. And you see it from the very first three words in the beginning. John says, we have all of that other stuff, but I'm going to stop you and go right back to Genesis 1, but I'm going to change two words, and I'm going to change your entire awareness of how to read what's coming afterwards. In the beginning, not was God, was the Word. You get where I'm going. Capital W. Look at your Bibles. Don't trust me. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Let me give you a free seminary course. Anytime you see something repeated again and again and again, underline it in your mind. Or if you're like me on my, one of my Bibles, I actually write in one of them. And I interact with the Bible. And I know many of you do that as well. So was the word, capital W, three times. Now notice what's happening here. And the word was with God. And the word was God. 
Let me catch up to my notes. So what you see now is that John is taking us into heavenly waters. He's taking us into who is the word. We're going to get to that. So pause that for a second. But where are we in John? So John 1 verses 1 through 18 is what they call a prologue. Here's the structure for you to get your head around it. There's a prologue. At the end of John, chapter 21, is an epilogue. These are just technical terms to think of it as kind of like an introduction and a conclusion. And in the middle of John, we have the book of signs, John 119 to 1250. And then we have the book of glory. That's the structure. John 20, verse 31. Flip with me there. We're going to read this and go back to it many times. And this appears to be the conclusion statement of the book of John. I'll let you get there. Why was this gospel written? Don't you love it when people tell you what you're supposed to know? John tells us with crystal clarity why this was written. These things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. You know, Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name, right? Just want to make sure we're all on the same page, right? You hear that a lot. That's not his last name. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is God. Okay. And the son of God, capital S, and by believing you may have life in his name. It's not his name and other ideas. It's not his name in a plurality of other religions. It's an exclusive claim for salvation. That's the purpose. Now flip back to John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Let me speak to two different types of people in the room here. If you are a believer in Christ, you may have heard that purpose statement and said, I'm already a believer, I'll check out, John's not for me. Capital mistake. This book is one of the richest treasures and our expositional study therein to grow your love for the Savior, your awareness of the Savior, and your application of the love for the Savior that you could ever spend time in. Don't check out. Two, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I stood here yesterday at a funeral and spoke to 200 people without apology and said, the identity of Jesus Christ is alone Lord. If you do not believe that, you will face death's door just like we went through in a very sad, sad memorial service, but also joyful. And why it was joyful is because Susan knew the Lord as her Savior. Without that, yesterday was without hope. We could, have you ever been to a funeral where there's all sorts of niceties said? They're a wonderful person. They did all this. They did all this. If they spend eternity in hell, life is not worth living. Friends, let's be crystal clear. This is not a game. I'm not here to proclaim to you something that's a good idea. 
These are God's word. The word of God is Christ. And Christ alone is the exclusive path to salvation. Without him is eternal damnation and separation from God. Period. I don't think we talk enough about that from pulpits anymore. But it's my job as your shepherd to care for the sheep. And I will not care for you if I do not speak with truth and boldness and clarity. I will not apologize for God's word, but I will come around you and care for you with it. So if you are not a believer in Christ, I am so thankful you're here. I'm so thankful you're watching. My job at the end of this is simply to unpack God's word and let that transform your hearts, not my words. These were written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ and by believing you may have life in his name. So where are we? We know when the book of John was written. We know where the book of John fits in, roughly. We know what is the purpose statement of the book of John. But I forgot one thing. Who is John? Now, John, notice he actually never refers to himself by name in the book of John. If you know John, you're going to know what I'm telling you is true. He never says, oh, by the way, it's me, it's John. He refers to himself by another title, which is the one whom Jesus loved. Now, friends... Somebody once said, and I agree with them wholeheartedly, if you have a choice between being, hey, I'm John, or I'm the one whom Jesus loved, what are you going to (laughs) pick? So the authorship of John is affirmed 20 times in the other Gospels. John is, for note takers, an apostle, John 114, 2.11, 9.35, and Luke 6. I'll go rapid fire. One of the 12 disciples the disciple whom Jesus loved, John 13, 23, 19, 26, 22, 12, 21, 20. The external evidence from the church fathers supported his identity. This was not debated, by the way. They knew exactly who wrote the book of John. John was one of the three most intimate associates of Jesus, along with Peter and James. This is the one whom Jesus, we know from the upper room, was reclining with the Lord, on the Lord. This is a very close, first-hand eyewitness. Jesus is his Lord, and John uses his favorite title that Jesus ascribed to him, the one whom Jesus loved, or the Lord loved. After the ascension, John becomes the pillar in Jerusalem. Galatians 2.9, Acts 3.1, He ministered with Peter until he went to Ephesus. In the book of John, three words resonate all over the book of John. They are trust, used roughly 44 times depending on how you look at the Greek, 80 times is the word love, but 100 times is the word belief. So when you put A, B, and C together, here's the executive summary of the book of John. 
These things were written so that you may believe in Christ and by believing, what? Have eternal life. And we are to love God and love others. The love of Christ used 80 times in the book of John. And these words are trustworthy and true. You get it? So the hermeneutics course I promised you is this. Remember I said repetition matters? He uses believe 100 times. Pisteo is one of the root words. He is using this again and again and again. It's like pay attention, pay attention. I am writing this so that you may believe in the identity of Jesus Christ. And by believing, you may have faith. And by having faith, you will have eternity with Christ. That is exactly why he wrote this book. And he's raising our eyes to heaven and saying, look at the Lord. So that is what the purpose is. R.R. Tolkien in the Fellowship of the Ring said the following through Bilbo Baggins, one of the main characters. Don't adventures ever have an end? I suppose not. Someone else always has to carry on the story. And so, friends, as I continue to carry on the story of the Bible, the identity of Christ, and I stand on the shoulders of Pastor Bob and others, I will gladly take that torch and light the affections and your hearts on fire for Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning comes from two Greek words, and they are the exact same Greek words used here as exactly in Genesis 1. Now we're going to get a little deeper. Something has changed. In the beginning was God. In the beginning was the word, as we mentioned. Now look to me to verse 17 and 18 of chapter 1. Here we go. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. In the other gospels... Have you ever felt like I have where you're like, just please say it clear? Right? Or is it just me? Jesus speaks in parables, which are meant to communicate a central message, a truth, but they're coded messages so that not everybody understands that message. John does not start his gospel like that at all. He tells you, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then fast forward to verse 17, and he is presenting an identifier to what he has just told you in verse 1. Who is the Word? Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God at any time, verse 18. The only begotten God who is the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Full stop. What he has just done is say, not only am I going to tell you that there is a Trinitarian God. You catch it? You read Duane from Genesis, and at one point, there was a plurality introduced. In the beginning was singular God. Flip back to Genesis 1. We're going to go back and forward through Genesis a little bit, and I pray that you'll love it deeper as a result. Genesis 1, verse 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Fast forward to verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image. 
and according to our likeness. You catch what just happened? We have a plurality in Genesis 1, and all false religions have two common elements. A denial of the identity of Jesus Christ as God, and often a denial of the plurality of God as a Trinitarian God. They're either these many gods or this many God. But what happens here is we have the personhood of God being identified back in Genesis 1.26. Our is not my. So if anybody says to you, oh, wait, wait, the Bible actually never ever talks about God as three persons. Wrong. Let's go back to Genesis 1, verse 26. Fast forward to John, and now you can see in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So that's at least two persons being identified now in John 1, verse 1. Does that make sense? So, Back to John 1. I hope you love God's word. We're going to study it a lot. Here we go. So, God, John is not finished with telling you and I different ways. Jesus was in the beginning with God. Verse 3. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. We were just in John, or in, Jesus, in Genesis. And what did we learn? In the beginning, God created. But now we have an identifier that says Jesus is a creative agent, the creative agent of God. All things came into the being through him. Heavens and the earth. In Hebrew, when you said the heavens and the earth, that meant everything. That's the denoter for everything. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth is a Hebrew way of saying that God made everything. For the Hebrew living then, you could sum up everything in two categories. The heavens and the earth, everything falls into one of these two categories. That's how John gets at the same issue. But here, it does not, uh, there is a slight change. Because all things were made by the Word, capital W. It's an assertion of the deity of Jesus Christ by saying that the Word himself was the agent of God's creation. And you go back to Genesis 1 as it floods your mind with the lights. When you think of the truth in the lights of the words, and I want to read this to you, what happens on each of these days, God said, let there be light, and God said, and God said, and God said, God speaks, and it comes into existence. He speaks the word, the world into being. And John, that's an important clarification, he speaks the world into being. And John affirms that the word, capital W, brought the world into being, has become incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. How do we know that's true? Look to God's word, scan down to our memory verse, verse 14, John 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The enemy has been on a mission to undermine God's word and the word of God since the creation of mankind. The enemy has been on a mission to undermine the word, small w, of God, and the word, capital W, of God since the creation of mankind. 
family. We need to guard the word of God, big W, and the word of God, small w, and understand the identity of Jesus Christ as revealed in the pages of scripture. That's where we're going. But I missed one verse, verse 2. I wanted to finish on this. How sweet is God's word when you read it with such clarity? He is what type of English word? Personal pronoun. Why does that matter? In the first, capital W is a word that could apply to many things, right? But when we harmonize and look at scripture to interpret scripture, we go to verse 2 and he says, he was in the beginning with God. So there's a possessiveness that's now happened and an identifier that's now happened. This is not just an ethereal God. This is a person God. He was in the beginning with God. We've identified who that is from verse 17 and 18. We need to read scripture, as Dwayne says often from Scripture for Living, by interpreting scripture to use it, to apply to scripture. We're going to read God's word one more time, and then I have one more quick illustration and a prayer for you. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Now, if you've looked at your calendar for next week, I actually am going through verses 1 through 5. Today was simply a teaser to get you ready to read God's word and love God's word and understand some of the context, some of the background. Where are we? How is this book unique? Do you know how a diamond is cut? So a diamond in its rough form is not as beautiful as we see in the beautiful engagement rings. Over 100 years ago, roughly 200 years ago now, there was a discovery that was made that if it was cut a certain way that radiated light in a way when light was applied to it, especially white light that would radiate from it and become resonance or beauty that would come from the gem. And that is why it is now cut like that and applied for the wedding celebration. And so this is a promise and it radiates every time. Have you seen these nice engagement rings and they kind of radiate and they get in a certain light and they just kind of radiate across? God's word is the richest and most precious gem in the world. And when the light of Christ is radiating through, which is the brightest light, it radiates and shines from Genesis to Revelation such that we understand it better love it deeper, and apply it more faithfully. And so our goal week by week is to look at the gem, to hold it up, tilt it, and understand how this meta-narrative shines and radiates Christ from cover to cover, verse by verse, book by book. Winston Churchill, in another famous speech entitled, We Shall Fight on the Beaches, Maybe some of you remember hearing this. He said the following words. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight in the seas and we shall fight in the oceans. We shall fight it with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. And we shall defend our island. Whatever the cost may be, we shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. 
We shall fight in the fields and in the streets, and we shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must never, never, never surrender as to the importance of the word of God. As the very word of God, small w, big w, is authoritative, instructive, sufficient, and our guide for all things in life and godliness. We must never, never, never surrender as to the identity of Jesus Christ as God. If mankind rallies and puts their life on the line in defense of their land, how much more should we stand in defense of God's word? The most treasured possession we have is not what's in our bank account. It's not what's in our homes. It's the very word of God. Eternity hangs in the balance with one question. Who is Jesus Christ? What do you say? Our series in John will flesh out the incarnate Son of, Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, so that we grow in deeper love for Jesus as the Word of God. We will lift high, look at this radiance from cover to cover, and understand who is the Word deeper and love it and apply it. We together, Lord willing, will work to ensure all the ministries of the Church of the Canyons are fully grounded therein. We'll work to understand what does it mean to be sufficient? What does it mean to be living? What does it mean to be active? And we will continue the great work that propelled us forward for the glory of God alone. That is where we're going. So in anticipation for next week, here's what I want you to do. Read John 1 over and over and over again, especially verses 1 through 5, so that when you come to church, you already know what is going to be taught and therefore can be listening with a discernment level that is perhaps deeper and applying it more effectively. I pray that you will join us in the journey, but far more importantly, I pray that you will understand who Jesus Christ is and therefore live lives accordingly, not for the fear of man, but for the fear of the Lord. And it's in this objective and in this pursuit that I will close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, we have just skimmed and opened your word. And it is so complex, and yet it is so simple. Thank you for John. Thank you for lives that are well lived. Thank you for your word that instructs, that corrects, that rebukes, that exhorts. Thank you for the word of God, your son, Jesus, that came, that lived, that died, that died in our place so that wretched sinners can have saving faith by grace in him alone, through faith alone, by your grace alone. So, Lord, help us to love you deeper, love one another as a result in therein. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the many people here and online. And may we go forward, not just as hearers, but doers of your word, for your glory and yours alone.